The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. Hello, and welcome to The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. My name is Joni Siegel, and I'm the host for this podcast. Today's episode is episode number 217. This episode is a bit different from some of the ones that we have done lately. You know, a lot of our interviews are done with individuals who are recovered from drug or alcohol addiction and who are working in that area. Today's interview is with a filmmaker who I don't believe has his own history of addiction, but he definitely delved into the whole area of addiction in a big way and gave varying different viewpoints of it in a dramatic feature length film. His name is Nicholas Jarecki, and we are talking today to him about the film that he made called Crisis, which is about the addiction pandemic from many different viewpoints, from the personal viewpoint, from the law enforcement viewpoint, and from the drug company viewpoint. So it's quite an interesting film. He, um, I'm going to ask him to tell more about his life, but at age 19, he graduated from New York University Film School, and he actually began his career as the author of the best-selling book, Breaking In, How 20 Film Directors Got Their Start. The film that we're talking about today, Crisis, is his second feature-length film. He also made a feature-length film called Arbitrage, which is, um, for those of you who don't know what that word means, it has to do with um, making money by dealing in currencies. I think that's the right way to term it. I, many, in another life, I worked for a hedge fund, and so I know the word arbitrage. So without further ado... Let's talk to Nicholas Jarecki. Nick Jarecki, filmmaker, acclaimed filmmaker. Thank you for being on the podcast today. Joni, a pleasure to be with you. I, I'm just super excited to have you on. You know, um, just as a side note, people ask Steve and I, you know, why do you do this podcast on addiction? Do you know, do you have a family member that's addicted or, you know, a loved one that's addicted? And and the answer to that is no, but it is our view that this whole addiction pandemic is so horrendous, doesn't get quite the media attention that we think it should. And so that's why we do this. We don't want a mother to go through what the character in your film played by Evangeline Lilly is going through. So that's, that's really why we do this. And, but enough about me, what was your motivation? How did you give us your history your background? How'd you get involved in doing a film like this? Yeah, well, um, you know, I've been making films for uh, about 15 years now. And um, uh, so, you know, right around the time I started making films, actually, I had a good friend of mine that I lost to opioid addiction. Um, and a a very bright young man. Uh, thank you. And, uh, this is in New York and, you know, he, he, he started with pain pills and then it it turned into heroin and then it turned into goodbye. Uh, and we were all very confused by this because he was such a bright young guy and, uh, you know, good family and all this kind of stuff. But 
you know, what I learned, of course, is addiction doesn't discriminate. Um, so, uh, but we didn't understand at the time how this happened. So we just kind of filed it away. And, um, and so about four or five years ago, um, I was reading, you know, different, different information about the opioid epidemic. And I came across a series of articles in the Los Angeles Times um, written by Lisa Girion and others. Um, actually, my audiologist had recommended I read them uh, because when we were discussing hearing loss and he, he told me that opioid addicts often lose their hearing. And I said, what? He said, yeah, yeah, you should read all this stuff in the LA Times. So I did. And I was really surprised to learn um, that uh, a lot of the issues with opioid abuse perhaps could be traced back to pharmaceutical manufacturers. Um, because what the Times had unearthed was that um, there were internal studies done at some of these pharmaceutical companies, you know, demonstrating that um, a much higher percentage of uh, patients than had previously been reported, um, in fact, might develop dependence to the manufacturer's drug uh, within the initial prescribing window. Um, and that, you know, perhaps this information had been overlooked or, you know, certain darker uh, perspectives might be that it had been suppressed. Um, and so I, I really just devoured this information. I was fascinated by it. And I called up Lisa and the reporters and I said, can, you know, can, can we get together and talk? And so really they unearthed to me uh, a whole world that I didn't know about. And then they introduced me to Steve Opperman, uh, undercover, retired undercover uh, sheriff um, who had run the Los Angeles Prescription Narcotics Task Force. And indeed, you know, this film Crisis that I made, we see these different characters, Gary Oldman, Evangeline Lilly, Army Hammer, the, the leads. Uh, but a lot of it is really based on true stories and true events that either came from the Times or came from Opferman and the various cartels that he had busted who were diverting uh, pharmaceuticals, who were manufacturing fentanyl in clandestine labs. Um, with precursor chemicals from China and other places. So, uh, you know, I just, I love research in a film and I got exposed to this whole world. And I thought, you know, isn't this crazy that, because I didn't understand, you know, probably your, your listeners are, are more familiar with some of this, but how prescription pill abuse can become a gateway to heroin abuse. Um, and, and I think that's really what happened to my friend. You know, he, he, he got pain pills, experimented with them, and then develop dependence on them, become extremely expensive, burn through a couple hundred thousand dollars. And then guess what? Let's switch to heroin because it's so much cheaper and pretty much delivers the same experience. Um, and then that's just a slippery slope to to the afterlife. So uh, or lack thereof. So, uh, you know, I, I, I just thought, you know, wow, how can there be no accountability to to these corporations, you know, if indeed um, research was overlooked or to our regulators, you know, FDA and, and other organizations. And then I know this is a long winded answer, but as I continued my research, I found, hey, guess what? 50% of the people who were at the FDA end up working at the pharmaceutical companies. And, you know, that's the classic revolving door. So, um, you know, now look, this is not a condemnation of pharma. I'm, you know, 
uh, all for it. You know, I own a little bit of stock in a biotech research company. So, you know, these are life-saving drugs that, that change the world and make the world a great place, including pain medication, which is essential for those in, in great pain. But that's very different than a manufacturer marketing promoting opioids for, you know, pain management and downplaying, uh, you know, whatever. I mean, whatever might have happened. I, I got to be careful about what I say here. Well, I, I, I thank you for that long winded answer. And it wasn't long winded at all. But I'm going to tell you, I don't have to be careful about what I say. And the truth of the matter is Purdue Pharma lied about the addictiveness of Oxycontin. I, Joni Siegel, podcast him saying that not filmmaker Nick Jarecki but they lied and they pushed a huge mark they had a huge marketing program to push Oxycontin and tell doctors that they are you know that they that it's not addictive and it, it was you know they lied anyway yes. you, well, you that have is to one say that right? that's becoming embraced I think yeah um but, you know, the issue is the, the I mean, at least in the L.A. Times reporting, the mechanism of action in these drugs, right? The, uh, the pain industry would cite this um, study from long ago, I think Dr. Jick, who said, you know, and Barry Meyer wrote about this, you know, who said, um, oh, uh, these, you know, only less than a percent of people get addicted. But but really, the, the real numbers maybe demonstrate that anywhere between 20 to 50 percent of people will just get addicted in the first cycle with these time release oxycodone medications. The people, they crave the drug. It's supposed to last 12 hours, but it lasts four hours, six hours, eight hours for some people, for lots and lots of people, maybe millions. And so by the withdrawal that one experiences in that cycle, it creates a dependence. And so we see with Evangeline Lilly's character in my film Crisis, you know, her backstory is she was an architect. She had an injury. She was prescribed oxycodone medicine for back pain. And then she became dependent upon it, started trying to get more from the doctor. At some point, the doctor cut her off. So she would doctor shop. Um, you know, and that's something else that I didn't know about the whole world of doctor shopping, the corrupt doctors and, um, you know, writing prescriptions to people. And we get into all that in the film and the, the whole undercover sequence of the, the scams of how pill mills work and all that, which I thought was kind of fun cinema, uh, you know, uh, put a little Rolling Stones music in there to, to goose it along. Exactly. And I think that I like the way you portrayed the different stories in the film. I think I cannot think of another. There, there obviously have been other films um, made about uh, addiction, but I really can't think of one that had all of the aspects that you were able to put in there. The drug company, the the push to lie about the um, the testing, the drug testing. And of course, Gary Oldman's character, character's willingness to basically keep his integrity in and tell the truth. And then the DEA agent, and then you have, of course, the mom and the, the different plot lines and the different stories that are in your film. I cannot think of another one that has all of that. And I applaud you for that. <laughs> Um, thank you. How, so tell, to tell us, how did this get made? You saw the articles and then. Yeah. And I, you know, I started writing, I mean, I started doing all this research and I went, you know, was lucky to know people in the pharma world and biotech world. So I started researching that 
I had help from Steve, the cop. Um, I had Lisa and I had other, you know, uh, doctors, biotech people, geneticists um, kind of helping me. But so then I had to, you know, just sit and fashion the story. And, um, and you know, that's, that's my job. And, and so I, I, I drew from a lot of personal experience. I had a family member who, who lost the son and she would go sit outside the killer's house. So I was always fascinated with that idea. Um, and then, uh, and then I drew from a lot of true stories. I mean, the film opens up with this boy crossing the border, uh, with a sled full of pills. I just took that right out of the newspaper that happened. Uh, there was a, a young boy crossing the Canadian border. Um, and then I thought, you know, we had seen a lot of films about Mexico and the cocaine trade. And, uh, you know, of course there's Soderbergh seminal traffic, a great movie. Um, and, and, and other films like 21 Grams that, that have this multi-plot structure and have some drug elements in them. But um, I hadn't seen anything that dealt with opioids or that dealt with the Canadian border. And so I went up to Montreal and I was, I was fascinated by it. It's a very beautiful city. Um, you know, it's a port city though. And it's got this under, underside of crime uh, and smuggling. And I thought, you know, smuggling was something that I wanted to touch on in the film as well, because I'm not a drug war person. You know, I'm, I'm, I, I think the American drug war is pretty much a failure, uh, epic failure. Um, so this, uh, you know, interdiction and uh, uh, prohibition, I don't, to me, that's not the solution and the, and the, the good use of taxpayer resources, you know, in, 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 in crime fighting. Um, so, so I wanted to look at, you know, how that manifested with the whole Canadian aspect of it, because I thought that was fresh and original, and I thought it would be fun for a thriller. Um, but, you know, I want to say, oh, well, there's all this attention paid upon Mexico, uh, paid to Mexico. You know, how about this 2,000 mile stretch up here of Canada where you could just walk across? And so we did research. We found out there were Canadian syndicates. And, you know, this, again, is all modeled on on real people up there. So, uh, you know, so that that was this do of uh, of ingredients. And then it's just the creative work of trying to lay it out and, and trying to trying to give a round uh, coverage of the subject, um, you know, without it feeling like short shrift. I mean, that was something we, we struggle with a lot in the film. How do we make it easily accessible to a broad audience, you know, but at the same time, how do we deliver this information uh, that, that we think is interesting and compelling? Um, and, and then, you know, putting the actors together, I, I um, sent the script to Gary Oldman. We had uh, met just about a year earlier um, and I, I had always been a great fan of his, you know, Winston Churchill and Darkest Hour. What a great performance. Um, but many great performances through the years. And we'd been talking about something else, but I, I, I got very inspired with this. And I wrote it, you know, over the course of six months or so. And I sent it to him. And right away, he said, you know, this is urgent. Um, let's do this. Let's well, maybe we'll do the other thing after. Uh, but we, let's go on this. And now you've got to go put it together. So take my name, use my name. We'll get the other actors, get the money together, you know, and then that's that's the the the, the grotty side of filmmaking, I guess, is is finding the money. Uh, but you know, we put together a team, uh, and 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 then off we went to the wilds of Canada to shoot the film. Wow, quite an exceptional team, I might say. I I very much enjoyed all the performances, very much. You 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 got some good material there to work with. <laughs> Did, was Thank it, you, 
You're welcome. Was it dangerous at all when you went up, like, researching this in Canada? Did you ever feel like maybe you were getting into an area that could possibly be dangerous? Well, I mean, for sure there's, you know, there, the, the, the drug trade in, in many uh, aspects of North America is heavily influenced by bike gangs, believe it or not. I mean, if you even can understand that something like that actually exists. Uh, so there's obviously great biking organizations, the Hells Angels and the Mongols and all this stuff, you know, that can be fun and, and, and diverting whatever. Uh, and they have a great culture. But there are criminal elements there that hang out and use those organizations as a kind of masquerade for their activities. Um, which do deal with uh, smuggling and, and drug running. Um, and so that's especially prevalent up there in Canada. They, they had something called the biker wars. And so, you know, Montreal is really a, a trip. It's kind of a throwback. I mean, it's this beautiful city. It's only an hour from New York. I, I never went there in my whole life until I started working on the film. And, uh, but, you know, it's got these kind of bars and you don't want to go in this place at the wrong time. And you don't want, you know, so I have a character in the film called Mother, and there's a very famous, who's a, a drug runner, Canadian drug runner, and there's a famous real gangster out there called Mom Boucher, who's who's in, in prison right now, and I never met him, but you know a lot of people said, well, don't let him think that you based Mother on him. I said, well, well, I didn't, but wouldn't he be flattered as well? I don't know. You don't want to end up in a landfill. So, uh, but you know, luckily we connected with a lot of the local. Uh, both law enforcement there and then some of the people that had been on the crime side, because often they'll hang out together. You know, that's one of the things I think is so silly about the drug war is this is something I want to show with the film. Everybody works from an incentive. You know, I don't I don't I'm not a big believer in bad people. You know, maybe there's a few handful here or there. But when you set up a system that promotes an economic incentive uh, for, in, in exchange for bad behavior, you know, you're going to find that bad behavior. There's been smuggling since the pharaohs, right? right. So yep. the idea that you're going to get rid of this through enforcement is just kind of silly. You got to attack these things at the root. Why do people want these drugs? Are they aware of the danger of them? Has right. proper safeguards been given to their manufacture? You know, right. heroin has existed and uh, for for forever. Uh, yep. Morphine was given to Civil War soldiers on the battlefield. You did yep. not have hundreds of thousands of opioid overdose deaths per year uh, up until, what, 10 years ago. So right. why did that happen? Did everybody just wake up and go, oh, guess what? I like morphine. No. What happened is lax regulation, focus on the wrong things of enforcement. And guess what? It's OK to promote, market, advertise these painkillers get a whole generation of people addicted to them just as they did with tobacco. And uh, guess what? Here's the aftermath we're cleaning up. But unlike, you know, my, my previous films called Arbitrage, that was about the financial crisis with Richard Gere. Um, there the crisis was, oh, I lost my home. I got foreclosed. I lost money in the stock market, whatever. Uh, here it's your mom's dead. She OD'd. Um, your kid brother got a pill with some fentanyl and he's he's in a coma. Um, the the stakes are so much higher here. So yep. the, the the I'm somewhat indignant, uh, I guess, at our, our country's regulatory activity uh, and law enforcement activity and, and how misguided the effort really seems to be. I mean, for me, it's treatment, treatment, education, decriminalization, destigmatization 
hold the manufacturers accountable, make sure the right safeguards are in place. You know, that's I it. Think you're, I think you're absolutely right. I think we've talked about this many times on our podcast that education is the key. And I believe, I hands down, that if we educate children, not just don't do it, that's not education, that's like mandating. You educate them as to, by the way, here is someone who had long-term use of heroin and they no longer have their teeth and they had to have a piece of their intestines removed. And I, if I were a child, I feel like if someone educated me, I would go, hmm, I don't think I want to do that. You are listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information on the podcast or to reach out if you have a story you would like to share with us, go to our Facebook page by the same name, or you can email us at theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com, or go to our website, theaddictionpodcast.com, or call us at 727 314 7080. And please remember to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a five-star review. Sometimes the hardest thing about getting someone into recovery is getting them to agree to treatment. Bobby Newman, a certified drug counselor with 30 years experience and an over 85% success rate as an interventionist, has created a series of 12 videos that you can use right now to learn every step to get your loved one to agree to treatment. Call 1-833-918-0008 today and say the word podcast to get a 10% discount. Or go to newmaninterventions.com and type in the word podcast for a 10% discount. This service comes with a free one-hour consultation with Bobby. We have, we've had the local sheriff on this podcast and he said, law enforcement is not going to solve this problem. It's just not going to happen. You know, it's, it, yes, law enforcement plays a part in terms of getting individuals such as this, you know, this cartel leader up in Canada, but you know, that's not the solution. It's just not, you're right on that. Yeah, I mean, you know, look, the, I mean, the thing is, see, it's like I, talk, I, you know, even when I talk with Steve, who was, you know, a top drug cop, um, he, he, you know, you, you talk to many of the people in the DEA or in, in other organizations who are tasked with enforcement, like your sheriff, and they're ambivalent at best yeah. about prosecution and, and, and how it works, you know, but they go, well, look, I'm doing my job. I got to do my job. This is my function in society. Um, and we even have that conversation between Michelle Rodriguez and Army Hammer at a certain point in the film when she says, you know, what do you think you're here to do? Make a difference. Um, yep. But I think um, I think, you know, it's 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 on us, the people to say, where do we want to put these resources? Do we want to put it into, you know, buy and bust on the street, street rips, taking down these little sad dealers that are paying for you know, ba barely scraping by to make minimum wage selling packets of heroin? Or do we want to put it into better border controls so that you can't go on Alibaba.com and buy Chinese fentanyl precursor and have it FedExed to your clandestine lab? I mean, that that you could literally do that up until a couple of years ago. Right. Um, and that's how many of these bike gangs were operating. They were buying on the internet the precursor chemicals, not on dark web, Silk Road, like on the general internet, and just getting this stuff shipped over here. Yep. So where 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 is our national 
apparatus there? Why, why don't we put the money on that instead of, you know, busting some 16 year old kid who's dealing to make a pay for uh, food? Yep. I, I completely agree. We also had our attorney general on and she basically made the same argument. And you make a good point. The other thing that you mentioned, and I saw that um, I watched a couple of the interviews um, on YouTube, and this one um, gentleman made the same point you did, is that what if you're going to take these drugs, you're basically playing Russian roulette. As you said, I could maybe take a couple of Oxycontin. It would help me with my back pain, and then I would stop. But depending on, you know, what is happening in your life and the possibility of changing brain chemistry, you might take it and you can't stop. And so it's, it's a Russian roulette thing really with taking a lot of these drugs. Yeah, I think, um, well, I think that's where education comes back, which is, uh, you know, my dad, my dad's a doctor. He's a psychiatrist. And I remember as a kid, he was always very ambivalent about the drug war and, you know, I finally, I, well, why, why? He said, well, you know, you see, you know, they've done studies that, that, that this is your brain on drugs commercials. You know, the kids watch those. They're more likely to do drugs after they see those because they, 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 they see it as propaganda. Uh, and, and they see, you know, they, they feel manipulated. They feel preached to. They're not really being educated. Right. They're just understanding that something is being condemned. Right. And so the rebellious nature of the young person being what it is, hey, forget that. I'm going to go find out for myself. That I think is very different than the true education campaign that we need, which is what you said is to say, you know, here are the long term effects of what this can do. Is this really worth it? You know, and 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 kind of to to, to show and then to educate a community, yep. because I went into, you know, doing research for this film. I went to Detroit where my mother's from and I set part of the film in Detroit because I thought it was a good metaphor for uh, this problem in America, especially with the urban decay of Detroit. So I went to the eight mile and other places where you can just easily buy heroin or oxy on the street, whatever. Um, but I also went into some of the treatment centers like methadone clinics. And, you know, this was a disgrace, perhaps worse than the drug market. You know, you have these for profit centers that are, you know, it's all impoverished black people coming in. But where's your for? I, I was able to walk in there. I could give them forty dollars and they give me methadone. I don't need any cars and whatever. So it's a, it, it's just another drug market that's going on that's being funded by Medicare or whatever. And there's all types of unscrupulous proprietors and operators. You know, this is not treatment. Um, you know, certain certain other European governments are a little more advanced uh, than us in this realm of putting some public resources into treatment, into operating clean facilities, clean injection sites, clean whatever. Um, you know, what is the what is the cost long term of doing that versus not treating people, putting them in the criminal system, encouraging recidivism and and and, and having to pay for long term health care costs? Uh Anyway, I don't want this to sound too, 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 too soapboxy, but, um, you know, I just think uh, I, I think that needs a real rethink. Um, and uh, I guess it's people like yourself that that get these ideas out there one podcast at a time. Well, thank you. That's that's a lot of the reason we do this. Nick, you mentioned learning through your research that long term drug use can affect hearing what else did you learn while making this film that maybe you didn't know before? 
Um, well, with regards to drug use, I mean, the thing about hearing was fascinating, you know, so so I thought I was losing my hearing. So I went to see my audiologist, Dr. Ishiyama uh, at UCLA, who I, I, I inspired the Gary Oldman's best friend character in this movie, uh, uh, the doctor that we see him have a conversation with about coming forward. Um, but yeah, what he told me was he said uh, he said that the um, a lot of the pill takers, uh, the. Um, uh, you know, the pills will be mixed with, um, is it ibuprofen or, uh, uh, you know, in, in your standard painkiller, it's a certain amount painkiller, a certain amount, something else, which can be liver damage. Anti-inflammatory. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. And, uh, and so, and actually this in large doses can lead to hearing loss. Um, and even they think perhaps opioids themselves might cause hearing loss. So he said that he has people who come they, and they get tinnitus, tinnitus as a, as a side effect. And he said it can get so severe. So he said they, they're so addicted that they wait until they just have hearing loss and piercing pain in their ears coming and then they'll come to him. And he says, you know, they can only reverse so much of the damage, sometimes not at all, sometimes effectively. But I just thought, oh my God, how, how sad is this as a metaphor that people are so addicted to a drug that they're gonna take it, take it and blow out their hearing and then put themselves in this debilitating pain and they'll wait until they're so deep in that then they go see the doctor. Um, and so I made, you know, Army's sister character played wonderfully, I thought by Lily Rose Depp in this movie, a brilliant young actress. Um, you know, the doctor says about her when she's in the rehab clinic that she has hearing loss. Yep. Um, and, and, and so it was a little ode to Ishiyama there. Yep. Um, Did you learn anything else in terms of long-term usage <laughs> or anything like that? Um, I mean, I, 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 I you know, I, it, it's hard to recall all of that uh, at, at my fingertips at the moment. Sorry for putting um, you on the spot. I mean, what, are, what, are, yeah, no problem. I mean, what, are, what, are, what are some of the areas that you find, you know, fascinating? Well, one of the things that was interesting to me when we started doing this podcast is I really did have. I, I wouldn't have said I wouldn't have said I thought about it, but the idea that someone who's an addict is a homeless, dirty person under a bridge rather than um, a young man who's 16 years old and who has a good life and at least one good parent, like in your film. And I, that was something that I don't think I really knew when we started this. The, the, it, it, I mean, it, it, it sounds cliche, but addiction knows no economic status or religion or race or anything. And I don't think I knew that. Well, I, I think that's well said. And, you know, that's one of the things I was, when I started talking, I sent the script to Evangeline Lilly, you know, an actress I had always liked from Lost and seen her in The Hurt Locker. Um, but we started talking about this character and she, you know, she was almost thinking like, okay, am I wearing flannels? Like, am I in the mountains or, you know, the Appalachian? And I was like, no, 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 no. You are a successful architect. You're wearing, you know, a Dries Van Noten or whatever. Um, I really wanted to show uh, with this character that addiction doesn't discriminate and it crosses all walks of life. Um, you know, it doesn't care if you're rich or this or that because it's such a powerful thing for 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 those you know who are susceptible to it um, that it, it can capture anyone. And so I wanted to show that it can cut just across the top of society as it can the bottom. You know, we tend to think of uh, you know addiction with the, the disenfranchised, the people on the fringes of society. 
But I think we've seen with this uh, epidemic that it's hit like a category five hurricane and it's really crossing over all walks of life. Um, so it's your, as we said, it's your mother, it's your brother, it's your son, it's anybody. Yep. Um, and, and, I, and I think, uh, I think that's, that's something that the, the, the public is beginning to wake up to because it's hurting so many of their family and friends. I mean, that's one of the things with this film, I, I always think, you know, is it relatable? And I think it is because everybody knows someone that has struggled with addiction, whether it's themselves or whether it's a friend or family member. I've yet, I've yet to meet someone who did, I, I, you know, so, yeah. so it's universal. Yep. I agree. I completely agree. It's one of the things we, one of the themes we talk about on the podcast quite a lot. Um, Nick, where can people watch your film? So crisis is available now. Um, it was, uh, it, it just came out in theaters last month. Um, we were, you know, even in the pandemic, we, we managed to get out in a few hundred theaters. We we're quite successful. We were the number one independent film out there. Congratulations. Um, and then, thank you very much. Um, it's now available on all the streaming platforms, uh, Amazon, Vudu, but iTunes especially has been a great partner. We were the number one film on iTunes for nearly two weeks. So I would encourage you to watch it. You can watch it on your cable box. You can watch it on your phone. Uh, however you like to watch movies. Um, if you like to watch them on iTunes, we encourage that. Uh, but it's Crisis, C-R-I-S-I-S, with Gary Oldman, Army Hammer, Michelle Rodriguez, Evangeline Lilly, Greg Kinnear in a wonderful performance, conflicted performance, yep. Kid Cudi, uh, Martin Donovan, really just uh, 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 Lily Depp, Luke Evans, a, a, a murderer's row of talent, honestly, I would say. And I think they all deliver really fine performances in this film, Veronica Ferris playing the CEO of a pharmaceutical company, suitably chilling. Um, and uh, and I think there's a lot of nuance from the cast. You know, they were very committed to this. This was a real labor of love for all those involved. Um, they didn't get paid very much. They had to come to Canada in the freezing cold. Um, so, uh, you know, there was a great support and, and love in making this project. Again, I think because with the cast, uh it touched you know they're just regular normal people right they 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 experience addiction with their friends and family you know just as much as anybody else yep. um so uh so crisis yes available on demand anywhere and you know i i agree with you in terms of the performances i was very very not i mean obviously i know all of these people are great actors but i was very impressed with their performances and the um the reality that they bring to the film. And I think that that's so important because you didn't glamorize it, Nick, and it shouldn't be glamorized. And I think that comes through. And I, I, I can see that they all really were into the film and wanting to give you their best, which I thought, think is very cool. Nick, I want to thank you. Um, you know, you're just such an amazing filmmaker and I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. And I appreciate you making this film and shedding further light on this area. Um, as I said, I don't know of a film such as yours that has all the different aspects. The only films that I've been familiar with are documentaries, which obviously are very powerful, but I think your film is very powerful because it gives many different um, aspects of the whole pandemic. So thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. I'm, I'm honored. Well, Joni, I really appreciate it. And, and I think um, I'm, I'm a real fan of what you're up to. I mean, I think, you know, as much as we talk about like addressing these problems on a policy level or blah, blah, the government, you know, it's really it gets, you know, they say all politics is local. 
you know, so I think it's just these conversations, these kind of individual dialogues that people can listen to, get excited about, get inspired, even if they do something simple, you know, such as check out an organization like Shattered Proof that we're doing something with, or um, go down and volunteer somewhere, uh, write a letter to their congressman, sign an online petition, just even educate themselves about the issues. Um, and, and that was a question I wanted to ask in this film, can one person make a difference? And I think that I think that one can. You know, uh, this is not an agitprop. It's not a call to action. Uh, it's, you know, uh, that's not what, I mean, the film is meant to be an entertainment first and foremost, but I think, you know, advancing these discussions is something that was important to me, um, you know, because I look at how I learned about the problems with the drug war in this country and, uh, you know, the, the lack of information that the public has, both of, uh, you know, the way that um, certain corporations maybe are not playing fair um, and, and really with how to address um, what is such a big problem and, and hasn't relented at all. You know, I'm sure you've seen the same statistics I have that it just got worse in the global pandemic and more deaths and more nightmares. So, you know, we got to act to, to roll this back um, and just to get back to where we were 10 or 15 years ago before this was such an issue. And I think we can, should and will. I agree. Thank you again, Nick. Awesome. Best of success. In okay, your everybody, please projects. check out Crisis. And yes. we'd love to hear from you. We're on Instagram or Twitter, Crisis Movie. <laughs> you can find me and Jarecki. Write me and tell, tell me it was terrible. I'll give you your money back. Uh, but hopefully you enjoy it. Uh, that's limited to the first 10. Um, Perfect. Thank you so okay, much. Joni, thank you. A pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you so much for listening today. I want to be sure that you know to check out his film, Crisis. I thoroughly enjoyed it. It's not a pleasant subject matter, but as you all know, we don't talk about pleasant subject matter on this podcast. We are talking about addiction. It's not pretty. It's not glamorous. His film does not glamorize it. It is hard-hitting. It is gritty. It's good. So watch it. Crisis, it is on uh, Apple. It is also on Amazon. And I'm sure it's on other streaming platforms as well. So check it out. Check out. It's Crisis the Movie starring Gary Oldman. And it's very good. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back again next week with a new episode. You have been listening to The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information, reach out to us on Facebook or go to www.theaddictionpodcast.com. Our email is theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com.